Welcome to Brainwaves Bistro. Grab yourselves a cuppa, kick back, and join us for mental health talk with a positive vibe. Here's Julianne. Yes, a truly positive vibe today. I am more than excited to have Dr. Eben Alexander III, who comes from a lineage of doctors and neurosurgeons. Thank you for joining us on Brainwaves today. Welcome, Eben. Well, Julianne, it's great to be with you today. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, you are a celebrated academic neurosurgeon, doctor, and a former associate associate professor at Harvard Medical School. I think you were there for 15 years, something like that. I may be wrong. Yes, 15 years at Harvard and, uh, you know, another eight or 10 years at other institutions. Well, obviously, we're going to be blown out by your intellect, but more so your experience. But Harvard, you actually inspired me, Evan, to study neuroscience. Themes of mind and brain in summer school with Dr. Ivan Pratkin, I don't know if you met him, to learn more about our amazing brain. So thank you, sir. And for the gifts that which you give to others, gratitude, optimism and comfort. Perhaps make up your own mind, folks. Life is not just a journey from birth to death and nothing else. Yes, it's great food for thought for all of us. And thank you too, Evan, for the nudge to expand my life in pursuit of a little understanding, but the huge enjoyment of exploring the fringes of quantum physics, our universe, and the philosophy of the brain. And folks, I'm no Einstein, but understanding a little theoretically about our sciences has certainly enriched my life. And it's led me to marvel marvel more at this, our amazing brain. And, of course, the epiphenomenon of consciousness. That's a subject, Eben, you write about in one of your books. And no scientific theory to date gives, to my mind, any comprehensive explanation. I'm talking to about quantum and the collapse of the integrated circuit I will tell you all later about Evan's New York Times best-selling books and all the other accolades on so many well-known US network shows, including Oprah, who I'm sure holds you, Evan, in great esteem. Now, please tell us about your life-changing experience, which has brought so much optimism and gratitude and comfort, as I said, to so many around the world. Eben, please, you have the floor. All right. Well, uh, thank you for having me on. As I said, I'm very pleased to be here. Uh, Important to point out that uh, when I had my near-death experience back in November 2008, you know, I'd spent the first 54 years of my life honing a very conventional scientific worldview. Uh, And that included, you know, physicalism or materialism, the notion that the brain creates consciousness, uh, and uh, I, I've subscribed to that, like so many brought up in our modern scientific traditions. And what I didn't realize was that there was a tremendous revolution going on in the scientific community around the nature of consciousness, brain and mind. And my illness was going to actually pop me right in the middle of that tremendous uh, kind of paradigm shift and and discussion uh, in the modern scientific world. But it really has to do uh, with uh 
analyzing this uh, this vision of materialism and you know brain creates consciousness which would make our existence birth to death and nothing more and what happened to me in november 2008 proved to me that the brain is not ultimately the creator of consciousness but is really just a filter that allows a primordial unified consciousness to come in. And that is really kind of where the 15 years of, of research with other scientists, with other um, experiencers uh, uh, around the world, where all of that has led. And it's a tremendous territory. It's a very refreshing shift in our worldview. And also, I think it's important that the shift in worldview from materialism or physicalism all the way across to idealism or kind of primacy of mind is important for rescuing humanity from our worst uh, uh, kind of demons. The way our the false sense of separation of materialism is very dangerous. And uh, it's very different from the emerging view of a very unified uh, kind of consciousness. We're, we're all in this together and we're here to take care of each other. And it's all about those binding forces of love, kindness, and compassion. Those were the lessons that were about to unfold for me. Uh, and the evidence all leads in one direction, and that's where I'm going with this discussion. So we'll never return to that bleak and paltry fiction of materialism, but it's still very important to get this word out to the world at large. Now, in uh, November 2008, what happened was 4.30 in the morning, I woke up with severe back pain, a horrific headache. Uh, soon thereafter, I was uh, lapsing into grand mal seizures and unconsciousness, gone from this world. That's before I ever left my bed at home. Uh, there's a myth out in the kind of lay writings about my uh, experience that pretends that I had a medically induced coma. And yet what the scientific community admits very... Uh, uh, in very straightforward fashion, is that my coma was caused by the severe case of meningitis. And it makes a tremendous difference because of what meningitis does to the brain and the amount of brain that it disables. Uh, in fact, there's a medical case report on my medical records uh, that was not available when Proof of Heaven came out in 2012, but came out in 2018 in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases by three doctors not involved in my care, but fascinated by my experience. And they, uh, by my recovery, I mean, that's the part that was inexplicable. And in that medical case report, uh, they make it very clear uh, that my brain was in no shape to have any kind of dream or hallucination. That's why the story is important from a scientific perspective. Uh, but also when they were challenged by the peer review editors of the journal, you know, how do you explain this case? It's unprecedented in the medical literature. Someone would be this sick from an E. coli, bacterial meningoencephalitis, a weakened coma, and then end up making a full recovery. How do you explain it? And the doctors who wrote the case report said it's because he had a near-death experience. They knew of similar cases of miraculous healing occurring in the setting of a near-death experience. And uh, that's really kind of the big message for all of us, is it shows us the connection we have with our own healing and wholeness and how we can bring healing into our lives. Now, when I went into this coma, uh, an interesting feature, an atypical feature of my near-death experience was that I was amnesic. I had no memories of Evan Alexander's life, no knowledge of Earth, this universe. It really was an empty slate. 
And it took me months to a year or two after my coma to understand why that amnesia was so crucial to my understanding. Uh, But I can tell you it was absolutely essential to my accepting the reality of the journey. Uh, If it had been a more uh, kind of conventional script or if I had scripted it, uh, you know, to encounter the soul of my adoptive father who had passed over four years before my coma, uh, that would be a different story. But that's not what happened. Uh, So let me share with you what did happen on that extraordinary journey. Uh, It started in what I call the earthworm's eye view, very primitive course, unresponsive realm, like being in dirty jello. Um, I had no body awareness during any part of this journey. But in that uh, uh, earthworm eye view, it was kind of a murky subterranean environment. And of course, when I describe it to people, they would say, that sounds kind of foreboding. But to me, given my amnesia, it was just something I accepted as existence the way it is. So I I was fine with it. Uh, It turns out that didn't last forever. I was rescued by this slowly spinning white light uh, that came towards me, and it came packaged with a perfect musical melody. Uh, That's a very important part of the story is music, because those who followed my career will realize for the last 11 or 12 years, I've used music in the form of binaural beat brainwave entrainment, sacredacoustics.com is a resource for anyone interested. But that is where I've I've really uh, gone deep into consciousness in efforts to recover much of this sense of uh, of what I encountered during that NDE and develop relationships with the various entities, with that infinitely loving God force, uh, all of that through meditation. Uh, but that has to do with music. And music to me was how my soul kind of navigated these levels. And it turns out as I ascended up through that light portal, out of that ugly earthworm I view, I ascended into what I call the Gateway Valley. It was absolutely beautiful beyond description. It was a world of perfection. It was like Plato's world of ideals for the individual soul. This is the timeless realm where we would go through life reviews, for example where you can have birth, death, everything in between, even prior lifetime events and future events, uh, all in the same kind of experiential level. Uh, And that should show you something about the power of these journeys. And this this is not just some vague remembering of life events, uh, but it really is more like a reliving of events. And so in this gateway valley, Uh, I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing, millions of other butterflies looping and spiraling in vast formations, colors beyond the rainbow. Um, And we were flying above this beautiful meadow surrounded by a forest. There were sparkling blue waterfalls into crystal blue pools, uh, thousands of beings dancing in this meadow, lots of joy and merriment, children playing, dogs jumping, incredible festivities. Uh, And it was all being fueled because angelic choirs up above were emanating chants, anthems, hymns. It would thunder through my awareness and just brought this entire scene into very uh, lively reality. Uh, It was much more detailed reality than anything I've ever experienced. In fact, uh, many people think that a near-death experience would be vague and murky and dreamlike. Well, this life and these bodies is vague and murky and dreamlike. That experience is much more real than this world, as more than 50% of near-death experiencers will explain to you. Um, And in that beautiful Gateway Valley, uh, I wasn't alone on that butterfly wing. There was a lovely young woman, sparkling blue eyes, high cheekbones, high forehead, broad smile, uh, soft brown hair framing her lovely face. She never said a word to me. She never had to. 
but her deep emotional truth was delivered telepathically to my mind in a way that uh, completely connected us. Uh, and she was basically my spiritual guide or my guardian angel on this beautiful journey. And her message to me, I think, was the main message I was to bring back to this world. Uh, you are deeply loved and cherished forever. You have nothing to fear. You are richly cared for. Uh, and the other part, as I put it in the book, Proof of Heaven, is she said, you can do no wrong. I wish I'd explained that better in the book, because people, especially in our modern kind of contrarian society, are too quick to think, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, we can do anything we want. Well, it turns out, to no, that what you find in that realm is that all the actions you take with yourself and others that show kindness, compassion, unconditional love, forgiveness, mercy, acceptance, uh, those are the qualities uh, that allow a more uh, facile road forward in terms of our soul journey. But we have the gift of free will. So we can choose to do otherwise. But if you've been busy handing out a lot of pain and suffering to others in your life, in your life review, you'll be on the receiving end of that. And I think, in fact, our modern concepts of hell have come from people who handed out enough pain and suffering to others that when they went through their life review and had to be on the receiving end of it, it was way too unpleasant for them to deal with. Uh, because I don't believe there's any eternal hell at all. That makes no sense, given my journey. But there certainly is a, a, an accounting of how we dealt with others. And it's it's like the golden rule is written in the fabric of the universe in the form of this kind of life review. Uh, it's a reliving of events and not a reliving from your own perspective, but from the perspective of others who were influenced by your actions and even your thoughts. Uh, so all of this is very important for kind of teaching a deep lesson written into the fabric of the universe that we're here to take care of each other. Uh, and that's what I was uh, sensing in this beautiful message from the guardian angel on the butterfly wing. And it turns out that that was just uh, kind of the beginning of my journey. As I said, that was a gateway valley. Uh, and what I remember then was this beautiful soft summer breeze that blew through in my writings weeks later. I call that the breath of God or the divine wind. And that uh, breeze was really my first reminder in this amnesic state of that infinitely loving God force at the core of all existence. And, uh, and in that setting, in that beautiful gateway valley, uh, I felt the summer breeze, and to me, it was absolutely that touch of God, that infinitely loving force that I will remind people that more than 90% of near-death experiencers across all belief systems and religions, uh, many former atheists, agnostic, what have you, more than 90% of people across history who've had near-death experiences come back believing in some loving uh, force, a benevolent force at the core of the universe, whether you want to call it God, Allah, Brahman, Vishnu, Jehovah, Yahweh, Great Spirit. I don't care what words people use. They get in the way of the deeper truth of the reality of that loving force of kindness and compassion, the love of the creator for the creation. And in fact, each and every one of us gains our uh, very uh, awareness from that God force. That was something I saw in the next level of my journey. Because what I remember is in that beautiful Gateway Valley, there came a point where all of it started to collapse down, and that included four-dimensional space-time and the earthly realm collapsing down. And then this entire spiritual realm, with its uh, much more eternal, timeless uh, of, uh, access to all the events of one's life, 
uh, that all of that collapsing down. And that's where I went up through yet another portal, a musical portal, this one created by the angelic choirs above. And I remember seeing all of that collapsing down into this complex oversphere uh, that was there for teaching purposes. And at that point, I had entered what I call the core. The core was the farthest I went on this beautiful journey. It was a resolution of all dualities. Uh, it was that recognition of the oneness with the divine, that there was no separation whatsoever between my kind of higher soul existence and this beautiful, infinitely loving creative force, uh, and that we all have that. We all have access to that. And I was shown that through the uh, circumstances of my meningitis-induced coma. And that's why it was such a gift, because none of this could have happened according to the tenets of modern neuroscience because of the documented damage to my neocortex and brainstem. Uh, and yet it all did happen. And that's what left me with this deep mystery after I woke up and uh for a while, of course, I believed my doctors that given my amnesia after I woke up from coma, uh, I tried to explain my spiritual journey to them. And they would pat me on the back and say, well, your brain was soaking in pus. In fact, we don't even understand how you're coming back to us now. But you can forget about it because the dying brain plays all kinds of tricks. Now, my amnesia was still active when I came back, and it took about two months for a lot of my neuroscientific knowledge to return to me. Uh, during that time, I was going back to the hospital, going over uh, notes, exams, uh, CT, MRI scans with my doctors, trying to understand it, because this wasn't lining up. This was not a brain that could have done, created any of that. Uh, and that's why it was such an astonishing experience. So anyway, back in the middle of my coma in that core realm, I was told, you're not here to stay. You'll be going back. We'll teach you many things. And there were many lessons I learned both there and through multiple returns through that gateway valley. Uh, I would tumble back down to the earthworm's eye view from the core realm. And then by remembering the musical notes of the melody, I could conjure up uh, that beautiful light portal up into the gateway valley. Uh, always welcomed there by that beautiful guardian angel with the same uh, validating and reassuring message uh, of love and kindness, compassion. And in many ways, important to point out for people who haven't read the book Proof of Heaven, that uh, all of this is in the setting of my adoption abandonment wound. Uh, I had been put up for adoption when I was 11 days old, but my birth mother, who was 16 and unwed at the time, uh, didn't want to give me up, and yet social services wouldn't let me go back to her. So I was stuck in a baby dorm for four months uh, before I was finally put up for adoption. And that plays heavily into the story. So if you read Proof of Heaven, you'll certainly get a lot of that flavor, that adoption abandonment wound is similar to what many of us have just from separation from the spiritual when our souls come into these bodies in the material realm. So at any rate, back in my coma journey, I would go through these cycles multiple times, but there came a point where they were right. I wasn't there to stay and trying to remember the musical notes, the melody to conjure up that light portal no longer worked. And so now I was stuck in that earthworm eye view realm. And uh, I remember at that point seeing thousands of beings going off into the distance around me, many with heads bowed, uh, arms up like this, I'm holding candles. And um, this murmuring energy was coming from them. And it was very surprising to me because here I was back in that lowly earthworm eye view realm where it had all started. And before that had been a kind of a, a bleak and paltry existence. And yet now with this energy of all these people surrounding me and their vocalizations uh, was leading to the same bliss 
uh, state that I had encountered in the spiritual realms of the Gateway Valley and the core. Uh, and that to me was a beautiful and amazing uh, kind of demonstration of where I was headed. Uh, and then I saw six faces that would kind of bubble out of the muck, say a few words and disappear. Now, my amnesia was still very much in force, so I didn't recognize the words. But I remember their faces as clearly now as if the whole thing just happened yesterday. And yet this was all over 15 years ago. Uh, so uh, a kind of extraordinary thing to go through. But they were important because those faces, five of them were physically present in the ICU room the last 24 hours or so that I was in coma. Uh, and that's important. It's all explained in the book, Proof of Heaven, if you want more details. But essentially, they helped me to understand that the vast majority of my coma experience had to happen between days one and four or one and five. The timing of all, and that was a seven-day coma experience. And all that is explained more uh, detailed fashion in Proof of Heaven. But it was really the sixth face that drew me back to this world. Uh, and that was the face of a 10-year-old boy. Now, I didn't recognize him at the time. Turns out this is Sunday morning, day seven of coma. They had protected my 10-year-old son, Bond, from the worst news during that week. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, they had a family conference where they said I'd gone from a 10% chance of survival down to 2% with no chance of recovery. And the doctors were suggesting just stopping the uh, taking me off the ventilator, stopping the antibiotics and just letting me go. And once Bond heard that, he knew things were a lot worse than he'd been told. He came running down the hallway. He pulled open my eyelids. I was still on the ventilator, eyes taped shut. I had one eye looking over there, one over there, neither pupil working. Anybody in medicine knows that's a horrible picture. Uh, and I promise you, I did not see Bond with my eyes or hear him with my ears. I was far too gone from my body in this physical world. And yet he was pleading with me, Daddy, you're going to be okay. Daddy, you're going to be okay. I didn't understand the words, but that pleading got through to me, even, th even though I'd spent the this entire coma journey, um, thinking, well, this can all continue. It can cease. It doesn't matter. Now, all of a sudden, everything mattered because I sensed that connection to another soul. And uh, so I had to kind of fight my way back. I didn't know what I was coming back to, but uh, my higher soul was able to navigate that way back. And uh, I ended up opening my eyes, fighting the ventilator. And my doctors were shocked that I was coming back to this world. They ended up taking out the breathing tube. I said, thank you. Now, I don't remember that original wake up. In fact, I remember very little of the next 36 hours because I was in and out of a paranoid, delusional, psychotic nightmare. The interesting thing to me in looking back on it all is the beautiful, rich, pure, clear spiritual memories of the deep coma journey that happened at a time when my brain was absolutely in no shape to harbor any kind of dream or hallucination. Uh, those memories are sharp and clear today as if the whole thing happened yesterday. Whereas the memories of that psychotic nightmare uh, after extubation, you know, when I was coming back to this world, but my brain was still horribly impacted by the meningitis, those memories disappeared within a few weeks. So I'm glad I was busy writing everything down. As much as my doctors told me it was just a trick of the dying brain, to me, the journey was so extraordinary, I had to record it all. And this was, of course, before my neurosurgical knowledge returned, and I realized my brain was absolutely in no shape to have any such experience. Uh, it was a complete violation of everything neuroscience teaches us about the neocortex and its role in generating consciousness. Uh, and so I did come back to this world. Uh, as I said, it was um, about a two-month process of recovery, but ultimately all those memories came back. In fact, as we discuss in our third book, the most important book, Living in a Mindful Universe, we talk about how memories are not even stored in the brain. 
Neurosurgeons have slowly come to that realization after more than a century of brain resections where you never had a long-term swathe of long-term memories that went away with any kind of brain resection. (laughs) So that myth that memories are stored in the brain, we're finally moving beyond that because they're not. And there's more to this universe than the physical world. In fact, the physical world is emergent from the realm of consciousness. And this is where the whole thing gets to be absolutely fascinating. A lot of this story is told in the newest uh, edition of Proof of Heaven. There's a 10th anniversary edition uh, that came out about a year and a few months ago. Uh, And also in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. It was co-written with my partner, Karen Newell, who's the co-founder of sacredacoustics.com, the meditation technique using differential frequency brainwaves I've talked about before that I use daily. And I've used uh, sacred acoustics to return to my journey uh, on pretty much a daily basis for an hour or two for the last uh, 11 or 12 years. So extraordinary capabilities from exploring consciousness. This opens the door to the healing capacity that we all have to escape the kind of toxicity of our ego and our ego mind and start harvesting the beautiful sense of connection, kindness, love, wholeness, and completeness that comes by cultivating a relationship with our higher soul. That's where meditation, centering prayer uh, are so, so helpful in this modern era. And that's where our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, becomes much more important as a proof of heaven than the book Proof of Heaven, because living in a mindful universe really talks about the unification of science and spirituality in the modern era, how quantum physics, neuroscience, the hard problem of consciousness, uh, the binding problem in philosophy of mind, and all the evidence for non-local consciousness, like telepathy and remote viewing that come from the world of parapsychology. And when you combine all that with quantum physics and its evidence over more than a century of the primacy of consciousness, you realize that this model is taking the world by storm. And for those who, who would like to have more information beyond living in a mindful universe, uh, go to ebenalexander.com, go to sacredacoustics.com, go to inner sanctum center, I-N-N-E-R sanctum center.com, and you'll learn a tremendous amount more. And just one thing I'd like to uh, leave your listeners with before I part is this whole question of the afterlife and reincarnation has actually gone beyond, uh, you know, ch- scientific challenge. Uh, And now there are hundreds of scientists around the world who accept the reality, not only the afterlife, but of reincarnation. If you go to BigelowInstitute.org, you will find 28 essays written by scientists around the world providing the best scientific evidence for the continuation of conscious awareness after permanent bodily death. So go to BigelowInstitute.org, and you can learn a tremendous amount more about every bit of this. But the scientific community is in the process of a massive shift. Uh, it's a shift towards idealism, uh, or maybe even more appropriately, I would say the philosophical model goes beyond just idealism, which is about the primacy of mind and consciousness in determining the physical events that we encounter in this universe. Uh, but it's really uh, an evolutionary panentheism. And evolutionary means that our free will is very active and real, as opposed to uh, materialist science, conventional materialism, which would tell you you have no free will at all, just chemical reactions, electron fluxes in the brain. So obviously they have missed the target. 
but uh, the scientific community is rapidly converging towards this notion of idealism or of panentheism. Panentheism is just the notion that that God force that so many near-death experiencers have encountered, more than 90% of them coming back believing in that loving God force at the core of the universe, uh, that is something for all of us uh, to realize is part of the truth of our emerging reality of this world. Uh, and the more we can connect with this, and it's the model that is emerging in modern science of consciousness is really one of one mind. Uh, and that's where our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, is such a powerful resource for the one mind hypothesis. Now, the other major uh, resources for that I will attribute to Dr. Pim Van Lommel, a well-known Dutch cardiologist who's written extensively about near-death experiences and consciousness. And in his second place winning essay in that BigelowInstitute.org contest, at the end of the essay, he lists uh, four resources that he says are the best scientific resources leading us towards understanding this one mind principle. One is our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, but also the book Spiritual Science by Steve Taylor, the book One Mind by Dr. Larry Dossie, and a paper by Bernardo Kastrup in, uh, I think it's Journal of Consciousness Studies in 2018. That paper is called The Universe in Consciousness. And, well, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But th- but I'm done, so it was a perfect <laughs> I, Well, I'm overwhelmed. There's so much there, Evan, so much there. And, and I can understand this now. You were named in a prestigious list as one of the top 100 most spiritually influential people in 2022, along with the Dalai Lama, Pope Francis, and again, Oprah Winfrey. Now, as you've impressed on us so much, everyone a must read Proof of Heaven, a neurosurgeon's journey into the afterlife. And it, Evan, it's so beautifully written. I just love the way you write. Thank and, you so much. Yeah. And you can find the links on our introductory page to all that Evan has told you and find out more about his life's interesting, a uh, very interesting journey. Just a little aside here. I hear you were a pole vaulter, parachutist and a pilot, and you even applied to NASA, but your dad wouldn't let you go. He wanted you to well, be Well, he taught me out of it. Yeah. That was They were looking for mission specialists for the space shuttle in uh, 1983, and that's when I got very fascinated and applied to NASA. Um, There's a lot more of that story, of course. It's in Proof of Heaven, and it has to do a lot with relationships with my birth father, because, in fact, he had also worked as an Apollo astronaut trainee in the mid-'60s. So lots of overlap in our lives that I didn't find out about until, you know, 50 years later. So So pretty amazing story. You well, you're an amazing man, and you've been interviewed on Good Morning America, Oprah, Doctor Oz, the Discovery Channel, and you have such an important message to tell us all. But I implore you to come back and discuss your book, Living in a Mindful Universe, to explore more science and, as I said, our amazing brain. A living in a mindful universe is just as thought-provoking, and I can't wait to discuss it, if you'll give me the privilege again. And, Evan, as a researcher, particularly in the area of the brain, you appreciate mental health research, and the Black Dog Institute does so much here in Australia, which benefits the world. I think you agree on that, don't you, Evan? Well, absolutely. I just wanted to give a shout-out to the Black Dog Institute of Mental Health uh, and all the 
beautiful work they do. And it has everything to do with, uh, you know, each and every one of us as a birthright uh, deserves kind of health and wholeness and healing in our lives. That's absolutely what every bit of my message is all about. And that's one thing I love about Black Dog Institute of Mental Health is how they bring in a very practical sense that kind of healing and, and mental health and wholeness uh, to a big segment of the Australian population. So that's great, great work that they do. And I'm also very pleased to be associated with you in this podcast and the work that you're doing to get this out to the world. That's my gig, Eben. And I just have to say that the Institute is not for profit and needs our help. Please Google, open your piggy bank and no gift is too small. Google Black Dog Institute. And have a great day and a great day one tomorrow. And thank you so, so much again, Dr. Evan Alexander, and enjoy your new grandchild. Oh, thank you so much, Julianne, and uh, look forward to talking with you again sometime. It's, it's been Yay, uh, really I hope so. <laughs> thank uh, you, we, everybody. We can shoot for that. Yeah. All thank right. You. Well, thanks. Thank you.